And good afternoon. It's uh, another nice day in the Pacific Northwest. At least it's not raining yet because it's supposed to rain cats and dogs sometime later today. And uh, we're just in that kind of gray waiting for it to start. So uh, we're live with the Bose Nose Show here on KRBN Internet Radio. And I'm your host, Jay Bozovich, Westland County Commissioner, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. And uh, it's been an interesting week or so uh, here and being a commissioner. And it's also been kind of a busy time for me personally, and I'm in the middle of re-election campaign. So it's been a wild ride for the, the past couple uh, of days. And uh, just to kind of give you a, a small sample of what it's like to be a commissioner. So yes, yesterday I, I rise and shine 6 a.m. You know, and I got to grab the newspaper and get that quickly read through and check all my email and, and Facebook just to, to make sure nothing's come up overnight that I need to know about and anything I need to respond to, comments and things like that. Get ready, run out the door, go to work, you know, because we've got a board meeting that lasts most of the morning. And uh, then at lunchtime, I've got to return some constituent phone calls and emails and some other things at, at lunch. And then I got to quickly get back into a board meeting at, at 1.30 and then finish up the board meeting. Got a four o'clock reception for our new uh, performance auditor. From there, I've got to drive down to Cresswell for a quarterly meeting of all the mayors of Lane County that lasted till past eight o'clock. So by the time I get home, it's past nine o'clock. And by the time I you know, end up getting to bed, it's past 10. And I had to get up at three o'clock this morning to take my wife to the airport. So she can sit in the Denver airport trying to get back east because they're having a heck of a snowstorm where she's trying to go. So she she changed tickets and paid for all sorts of ticket changes to try and leave a day early so she could work in enough time to go see her dad who got hospitalized uh, last weekend with pneumonia. Um, and, and it's one of those things, you know, the, the 93 years old, those things happen to seniors sometimes. Just a, a little cold can really turn sour in a hurry. And she's trying to get back in time to visit with him for a while before she goes and takes care of the business trip she's actually going on that happens to be in the same state uh, this time for yeah, in Delaware. But here she is trying to fly out a day early, and sure enough, they get the fourth snowstorm in three weeks on the day she's supposed to fly back on the East Coast, and they cancel her flight from Denver to BWI, and she's not supposed to fly out till uh, 8 o'clock this evening and get into BWI at something like two o'clock in the morning. By the time she drives to her sister's house, it's probably going to be pretty close to four or five in the morning, which is going to be about 26 hours after we got up this morning. <laughs> so she's having an even more fun day than I than I've been having. But then you know, so get up, take her to the airport and all that stuff. Come back, got to do all the usual stuff of read paper, check all the email, check Facebook and all that stuff that you do is you just kind of have to do as elected official first thing in the morning just to keep up with things. Get myself off to Florence because I have to be in Florence at 8.30 for a um, Central Oregon uh, Coast Board of Realtors meeting, it's their annual meeting, and they invited me to be their guest speaker and actually talk to them about what's going on that impacts the real estate industry uh, from the commissioner's point of view. And uh, they they get their uh, extra um, educational credits that way. But that that uh, that meeting lasted till almost 11 o'clock. And uh, the, the latter portion of the meeting where I actually was speaking uh, was open to the pub public. I did get a uh, an endorsement from the Board of Realtors while I was there. I was really happy about that. And um, but I got to talk to them a little bit about all the various things that I've talked to you all about on the show. Things like uh, the fact that our strategic plan, our number one priority that's 1A on our strategic plan is to expand housing in Lane County and housing options. 
and uh, then went on to talk about accessory dwelling units we've talked about before, talked a little bit about the, the legislators move to raise the recording fees on recording documents, which adds to the cost of a house, because that's what you pay for those fees when you go to settlement. And of course, the title companies and the lawyers mark those fees up. Uh, so, it's, uh, I don't know if you guys hear the dogs barking in the background, but we must have somebody attacking the house. <laughs> It must be some of those people that object to your what your show. Yeah, yeah, it's it's people storming the house to interrupt my radio show. <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, we talked about recording fees. We also talked about MERS and 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 the an attempt by the legislature to circumvent a lawsuit that several counties are are suing MERS for um, basically going around the system to record deeds and, and mortgages uh, at the county level and avoiding the, the, the what used to be a fairly cheap recording fee, but now isn't. Um, but it, it's kind of the, the cognitive dissonance that the legislature has. On one hand, they're raising a recording fee to raise money for affordable housing. And on the other hand, they were going to take action to kill a lawsuit to make it easier for the mortgage industry to go around our our county clerks and record stuff electronically rather than record it with us. So here they are, they want to raise money with recording fees and they were going to pass a bill that was going to make it easier to not record things with the county clerk. So I don't know where the, the uh, legislature was going with that one. Fortunately, the MERS legislation did not pass. Okay. Now we talked a little bit about construction excise taxes and the folly of the idea of taxing something to make it more affordable. Uh, talked about rent control a little bit. And, and then we got to talking about something about building officials. And this is probably something that's not really well known out in the public, but there was um, some issue that came up where the state building officials, and there's one guy that's kind of the head honcho for the whole state, that all the county building officials and city building officials have to get approval of their, their programs to review building permits and inspect construction is, is a, an authority approved by the state. And this is the guy that's head of the departments that approves those programs. Well, there was some issue with some uh, city that was contracting inspections out to a third party. And he asked for an opinion from the attorney general's office whether it was legal for a city to contract that out. And Ellen Rosenbaum's uh, uh, attorney general's department came out with an opinion that said it's actually unconstitutional for well, cities and counties to delegate their building official, uh, building codes official uh, authority to, to third parties, which means now all these really small cities and small counties, um, fortunately Lane County is big enough, we have our own building code officials so we don't delegate it to a third party. We have used third parties for inspections when we fall behind and occasionally have used third parties to do permit review, but then it comes back to the building code official. For, um, but that issue now is hanging over the whole construction industry because every small city just about does third-party contracting as some part of their building permit review or inspection. And now they're all scrambling to try and figure out how they're either going to hire somebody or find, you know, group together a, a bunch of small cities and hire somebody that they can share. Um, and, and, and of course, at, this is a skill set that's very limited, takes quite a while to get certified, and it's the same skills that work well in the construction industry, which is booming right now, so there's not a lot of people out there to hire. So all because of this, this opinion that you can't delegate this authority, there's gonna be some real disruptions in the construction industry if we can't get building permits reviewed and issued and if inspections can't happen. So we're working hard to try and figure out how to, to work with that. We're talking, you know, Lane County's looking at can we 
we expand our capability and help some of the smaller cities in Lane County. Um, and in particular, one of, one of the real things for West Lane County is Lawrence and Benita were in the review process to get recertified for the next couple of years. Because I think it's a three or four year cycle you get approved for. And uh, they're one of like 11 cities and counties that are currently under review that may that will probably not be approved because they they were contracting out so you know that was some tough news to pass on to the, the realtors this morning because uh, you know you think about a lot of the folks they're selling lots to are folks that want to build a custom home you know think about it particularly for these folks on the coast the folks that want to build their their dream beach house or something like that and they may have considerable construction delays if, if, if you can't figure out a solution to this. So that, you know, that was, you know, I finished up that, that meeting down there and I ran into a constituent and ended up, you know, he wanted me to come by his house because his wife um, is having problems and is kind of homebound and wanted to stop by and say hi. So I stopped by his place and he's, he's right in Old Town Florence. And uh, at the same time, then I stopped by what's going to be uh, the Patriot Place store um, on Nopal, which is a street that comes off of Bay Street there in Old Town, uh, just up and across from the big parking lot there uh, at the harbor, at the port. Um, and it, you know, meet with those the, the couple that's helping uh, prepare that store to open up. It's going to be kind of an interesting sort of coffee shop and gathering place and it's going to sell um, basically Americana you know the American flag coffee cups and all that stuff and they're going to have the constitution on parchment framed on the wall uh, you know several sheets of, of parchment paper and and the Declaration of Independence have a you know big flag up on the on the building and and it's going to just be this um i forget what I, I guess they're calling it patriot place all things american is 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 the the shop it's going to be kind of be this combination coffee shop and uh, uh places you can buy patriotic things and it, it should be an interesting little um place to gather in florence uh, so i got stopped by there and of course, as soon as I finish that up, I got to make the run all the way from Florence into downtown Eugene because I've got to get there for a housing authority meeting. And then I got to jump out of the housing authority meeting and come back here to Elmira so I can do my radio show. So that's what about the last 36 hours has been like for Jay Bozovich, Lane County Commissioner. And in between all that, I'm trying to make phone calls from my car to catch up with constituents that I owe phone calls or, or other people and or staff that I'm trying to, to direct constituent issues to, to be resolved. Um, every every time I got a moment to sit down, I got to jump onto my email and try and catch up a little bit with that. I'm sure I've probably got about 60 emails that have built up between all the meetings and driving I've had to do because you definitely can't do email while you're in the car. but. That that's the insanity of being a Lane County Commissioner. You know, you got to have those those fourteen hour days and and, and uh, running from Florence all the way into Eugene back out to Elmira. You know, just I, I put about I figured it out the other day. We I, I took the mileage that was on my car and figured out you know how many months I'd been a commissioner and all that and knew how many miles I had when I became a commissioner. I averaged over fourteen hundred miles a month. On my vehicle. Now I get a stipend for, for to support my vehicle, but the stipend's based on driving a thousand miles a month. So I'm kind of donating to the county about 400 miles of wear and tear on my vehicle and gas and everything uh, a month. The way the current stipend works out for for rural commissioner, and it's kind of interesting. I was talking with. Gary Williams, who's the other rural commissioner, and comparing notes, and he figured out that he was putting over 1,400 miles a month on his car. So just to get around one of these big rural districts here in Lane County, you're putting a lot of miles on a car because you know I can't just sit in Eugene and Elmira and and really 
understand what's happening in my district and really pay attention to the issues in my district and see what's going on. Go out and physically see some of the problems my constituents are calling me about or look at some of the things that need to be improved. So I have to be in Florence you know, at least once a week, if not several times a week. I have to get to Junction City at least once a week, if not several times a week. I was even up in Blatchley Triangle Lake on Monday night, which I didn't even get to the, the what my Monday was like, which also started at, at early in the morning and went to a late night meeting where I was up there for a BLM open house on the whole pond um, future. They have been doing some analysis of the dam up there and they realize they've got what's considered to be a high hazard class dam. It's one of nine dams that BLM owns and they owned several hundred dams, you know, several thousand maybe across the country, but only nine of them are considered high hazard. Two of them are in Oregon and one of them's the whole pond up there near Triangle Lake, up near Horton actually. If you're Pacific, and uh, they're trying to decide what the future of that, 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 that pond is. Now, Holt Pond was put in, in in the 40s as part of a mill and and turned back, you know, when the mill closed, uh, it was given to the government, I think, in the 90s, and BLM kind of took over the ownership of it. But it's been there for a while, and it's, it's an earth embankment. They've done some improvements to it, but really it needs to be reconstructed to be safe. To, to get right down to it. And that reconstruction of that dam is going to be a considerable investment for BLM to make. Um, so some of the proposals are, you know, do nothing and live with the risk that a dam breach might have uh, for the downs. You know, there's about a thousand people that live within the floodway of a breach downstream of that. It's kind of hard to believe there's a thousand people that live between Horton and Triangle Lake, but there are. Uh, and, uh, so, you know, one of the options is do nothing. And then there's another, the, the worst case options are, are, are breach the dam and remove it and just let it go back to being a, a natural channel uh, to uh, there's an even an option of just lowering the lake, lake level by about seven feet so they can get the uh, dam to be a little bit more safe. So I've been rambling a little bit here and you can probably tell I'm rambling because I'm I'm dog tired from being up three this morning, but I forgot to mention that anytime you want to call in and change the subject on the Bose Nose Show, just give us a call, 646-721-9887. I usually give that number at the top of the show, and I just realized I hadn't given out the phone number yet, so 646-721-9887. And just press one, and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. So there's been a lot going on in the last couple of days that I can talk about here on the Bose Nose Show. Had a Human Services Commission meeting on Monday. Also had a, a legislative committee meeting on Monday. Talked a little bit about legislative stuff uh, when I was talking about the realtors meeting I had this morning. But yesterday at the board meeting, we action to adopt our strategic plan for the next three years. And I'm kind of proud of the document. I'm kind of proud of how Lane County started to be driven by this idea of a strategic plan. And we've talked about it on the Bose Nose Show before. It's all about setting the destination of where we want to go and then talking about what's the route we want to take to get there. And then how do we check to make sure we're staying on course? You know, so it's about goals, it's about tactics, and then measurements, and also, and and that the new strategic plan does another good job of doing that. The old strategic plan was a really strong document, but such a strong document, it's led to a lot of great accomplishments at Lane County, from everything we did to control our budget because there was goals in there and strategies around uh, getting our cost under control, to the effort we made to renew the jail levy that passed by 73% really been, you know, that that focus on staying within that strategic plan has been a really great thing for Lane County. And one of the things I like to talk about is it, it, it prevents us from chasing squirrels. And everyone's like, chasing squirrels? What do you mean? You know, and I kind of, you know, 
do one of these things where I go squirrel, you know, like dogs do, you know, you yell squirrel and they, they suddenly run to the window and look out um, and forget whatever they were doing. That's what a strategic plan does. It keeps you on what you were doing and it doesn't let you get too distracted by some little new bright, shiny thing off in the distance or the movement in the tree, tree branches. It keeps you focused on what you're doing. And, and that's really the power of the strategic plan. And I think our new strategic plan has some really powerful stuff in it. And like I mentioned a few minutes ago, one of the really powerful things about it is just what's that fir very first thing listed. You know, we basically have uh, four areas that we have under our strategic plan. And the first one's a safe, healthy county. And the first priority under that is increasing housing options for residents. Top priority. So we're gonna try and do that. Then the next thing we wanna do is increase our access to pre prevention and treatment services. And we've talked here on the Bose Nose Show about mental health and addiction treatment and the issues uh, and case management and trying to get people really um, permanent solutions to the issues they're having rather than temporary. We've also, the, the next item on there is to maintain and enhance our public safety funding and service delivery. And, and we've talked here about the need to get a permanent local source of revenue that we control here locally for public safety and expanding our patrol services and what that will do for early intervention in people's lives that are getting on the criminal side, as well as making our roads safer in Lane County because we need that traffic enforcement. And at our current level of staffing, we don't do traffic enforcement hardly at all. And then our third under Safe Healthy County is, uh, fourth I should say, is pursuing effective diversion program. And we've talked about that, that kind of lines up with the second one about prevention and treatment. But that's about once somebody is connected with the criminal justice system, how do we most effectively deal with that person and, and look at diverting them into programs that'll actually make them a, a better person whole without ignoring you know, the victim in the crime and all that. So it's gotta be, still be justice, but a restorative form of justice. So you know, that's just, just to touch on that strategic plan a little bit, that's just, just under safe, healthy county. There's still the vibrant communities, there's, um, also uh, robust infrastructure and kind of tying them all together is what we call our people and partnerships, which is, which is sort of pulling out of several things. Um, some of the things we're doing as far as our internal structure of Lane County and also how we, we collaborate and partner with other agencies and everything. So really strong strategic plan we passed yesterday. You can view it by going to lanecounty.org. Just put strategic plan in the little search bar up there on the upper right hand side, and that'll get you to our strategic plan planning page. And uh, it's the document, full documents there, the, the one pager version of the documents there. And you can see that's the roadmap for Lane County for the next three years. But it's not set in stone. One of the things that's key to that is there's metrics we're promising to keep measuring and to circle back and make sure that we're we're doing what's getting the best outcomes in the areas that we're concerned about. And we'll make adjustments to tactics and strategies as we go along. And as we achieve goals, if we get something done, we'll take it out, you know, we'll basically say that got done. Now it's what else, you know, is there something new we can add to the plan? And we did that with the, the last strategic plan. The, the, the goals, we kept adding sub goals to, to all those those major goal areas of safe, healthy county and vibrant communities because we kept achieving goals. So there was the next thing to get done. And, and part of the reason we kept achieving goals is we had a strategic plan and we weren't chasing squirrels. Squirrel. So <laughs> that's uh, kind of, you know, one of the things we took care of yesterday in, uh, in our board meeting, and it was uh, a really big thing, an important thing. The other thing was got to meet three new staff members yesterday. One of them was our, our new law librarian. And uh, she's 
uh, we actually stole her from Washington County. She was the assistant law librarian there. And you know, it's kind of one of those things, law library is something not everyone touches, but if you ever need it, you're really gonna want it there. Cause it's one of those things where if you're really trying to figure out a piece of landlord tenant law and, and what your rights are as either a tenant or a landlord, or you know, if you have questions about you know, some, some civil procedure or something like that, it's a great resource. It's a place to learn about law and, and a great place to do research that's available to free and available to the public and, and actually a required function of the county. We have to provide a law library under current statute. So that we have a new law librarian and we also have a new um, rural economic development staffer that, you know, we only have basically two and a half people in our economic development department. So it's really great that we filled basically 50% of our staff back again after the last person had to leave. And um, it's our, you know, he's really uh, a, a dynamic person, Austin Ramirez. We stole him up from California um, and he'll be focusing on the rural communities like Florence and Benita and Junction City, or even out in Triangle Lake and Blatchley. But he'll also be going up to Blue River and uh, Mackenzie Bridge and out to Oak Ridge and down into Dorena and Lowell and those areas. So he's gonna have a lot of, he's gonna probably put more miles on his vehicle than, than Kerry Williams and I do, because he's gotta cover both of our districts. Uh, but it's great to have Austin back Austin on our staff and you know his, his task is really to work with those rural rural communities so uh, it's really going to help uh, some of you know that urban rural divide and trying to get the rural folks to uh, have just as much impact from this growing economy as the, the urban areas are having. In addition we introduced to everybody at a reception last night at four o'clock and also during our board meeting, uh, Casey Creer, and I should say Dr. Casey Creer, PhD, and he is our new performance auditor. And he's actually one of three people that actually the board of commissioners hires and directly supervises. So we only have three people we're in charge of as a board the county administrator, and obviously he's got a lot of people that report to him. County council that has the county council's office that reports directly to him. And then the performance auditor, who actually doesn't have staff and, and may hire some interns and stuff like that, but there's we don't have a lot of budget for that function. But we had a really well-functioning performance auditor when we had Sean Miller working for us. And I, I believe Casey's going to do a great job. And he's and if uh, you want to see who Casey is, I threw a picture up there of him and him and myself um, yesterday on Facebook on my commissioner's page. But Casey's uh, a really uh, energetic guy, great sense of humor, and he's a track fan. So he's really excited about being in track town and moving to Lane County. He's we we we're bringing him from Denver. Uh, but he's originally from the Dallas-Fort Worth area of Texas. And uh, so it's kind of great. It, it, it's interesting to see that we had to go national to find somebody to fill that performance audit function. Which gets me to a completely different topic. Let's talk about city government for a little while. I know that I'm not a county, I'm not a city councilor. I don't have any, you know, I can't really step in and do anything there, I have no power. But there's competing ballot measures coming up in the May election for the Eugene voter. One of them's a citizen-led initiative to do an elected auditor. The other one is a council put out um, initiative, uh, re a referral, I should say, to do a council-appointed auditor. I don't know what'll happen if both pass. <laughs> <laughs> to see how that gets resolved but if um i i believe the appointed auditor is really the way to go because i've i you know now that i have experience when we hired shonda originally how difficult it was to 
to find people with that skill set. And then in in our hiring of Casey, it took us two rounds of posting that and going national with some of our search to get somebody that has the qualifications and fit what we wanted in Lane County as a performance auditor because performance auditing for a governmental agency is a very specific skill set. You know, most people think of auditors, oh yeah, they, they're some kind of accountant. There's somebody that just has accounting degree that does auditing. It's a subset of accounting. That's sort of true. And it, and so, you know, first of all, not everyone's an accountant. So you, you eliminate a lot of a lot of the population right there. First, you need to be an accountant. Then you need to be an accountant that specializes in auditing. So now you've taken that that subgroup of the population and made a subgroup out of that. Now, performance auditing is a very small subgroup of auditors because it's different. It's not just about going over the books at the, that were closed out at the end of the year and looking back and seeing if somebody made some math errors, you know, if they put everything in the correct columns, if things balanced, if they didn't break any uh, accounting rules or finance rules. This is about performance auditing is really about programmatic improvement and looking for, you know, identifying risk in, in your system and proposing ways to mitigate that risk. So it's not purely a, a financial function. It's a systems analysis function. And, and, and what's really interesting about Casey is he's, he's got the finance background at a, at a bachelor's level. He's got a public administration background at a master's level. And then he did his PhD basically in system analysis. And so he's really qualified to, to take a look into our system and look at programs, dissect them as an auditor would dissect them, you know, pull them apart, look at everything, look at what's, you know, everything from what's the federal requirements because that program's funded through federal grants, let's say. And, and are we following all the proper uh, things that the grant requires? As well as, are we getting the outcomes? Even even if we're following everything the grant says we're doing, is it effective? Are we actually getting outcomes? That's the one thing, a, you know, a financial auditor doesn't look and say, you know, your books may balance, you may be fine following every financial rule there is, but your program could be a complete waste of money. <laughs> but that performance auditor is looking for is the program achieving the outcomes in an effective way? That's kind of the difference between performance auditing and just plain old auditing. Yeah, and, and that's really what they, you want in the city of Eugene. You're looking for performance auditor. You're looking for somebody that's gonna improve the city's functions. At the same time, it, it provides a level of transparency to have a somewhat independent person particularly somebody independent from the administration, which Casey's directly appointed by the Board of Commissioners. He's not independent from us, but he's independent from Steve Rokohyski, who's our county administrator. So it gives him the ability to look at what Steve's doing and tell the board independently, fear of consequence from Steve Rokohyski, an honest opinion of how some program under, under Steve's management is functioning. That, you know, the city of Eugene, the proposal to have an elected auditor, yeah, that has a lot more independence in some ways because they don't, it, it's not appointed by the council, but that also means there's very little constraint or direction around that position. And at the same time, you're electing somebody to a position that really needs a specific skill set, are you really going to be able to find that person through a public election? Is that the correct way to select somebody that's going to be effective as a as an auditor? To have somebody run a campaign and get elected. So if 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 I you know if I was looking at that and wanted to you know voice my opinion one way or the other, I would be recommending for the folks of the city of Eugene to vote for the council referred option of a council appointed auditor that does not report to the city manager. 
because I think they're going to be able to find and select somebody that has the right skill set. Not to mention the the elected auditor also that that actual initiative has a lot of other things in it that I think are undesirable, like uh, setting the salary through some kind of formula about department head salaries, which is going to put it way above the market and also dedicating a certain percentage of the city budget to the auditor's office, which is going to be a significant amount of money, uh, about $700,000 a year by the formula they're using. That's a lot of money for an auditor's office. And, and you know, we were we were basically running our performance auditor who was effective for uh, around 100,000 a year. So, and that's for a, large, a, a much more broad organization than the city of Eugene. So veering off of the county track for a minute and the Board of Commissioners, we veered right into the city of, of Eugene government there. And then uh, we'll, we'll veer even a harder tack in some ways. And I noticed that the media is reporting that Congress is close to an agreement that will keep us from coming up to that financial brink again. And they've got some kind of resolution where they are going to have a $1 trillion plus budget resolution of something. And I just, it daggers my mind to think about that. You know, it, it, it's mind boggling sometimes to think that Lane County's in that half billion dollar range as far as our annual budget, but a trillion, but, you know, that's a thousand billion. <laughs> that's a lot of zeros. I just, it, it's an almost unfathomable amount of money. And to know so much of it is being done with debt and financed with debt, which is, you know, at least in Lane County, we're required to balance our budget without a deficit. We can't deficit spend. We don't print money in Lane County. And one of the things we've been able to do is, in you know, after losing all those federal timber revenue, we managed to figure out how to balance our budget and do things that save money. And I'm just not seeing the federal government do some of those things that we've had to make hard decisions on. So $1 trillion and uh, counting on the federal federal annual annual budget for the federal government. Oh my, that's a lot of money. <laughs> so threw out some red meat topics here a little bit on the Bose Nose Show. If you didn't catch them, we've talked about everything from rent control to the uh, federal budget to auditors and appointed auditors versus elected auditors. Give me a call, 646-721-9887. Just press one if you want to get in on the conversation. Again, 646-721-9887. And just press one. Let you get in on the Bose Nose Show. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. And, and don't forget, you know, there's multiple ways to get a hold of us. You know, just send us a message on Facebook, too. But, yeah, that KRBN Internet News Talk Radio, uh, we'll get you there somehow or another. Just you start putting KRBN Internet Radio into your Facebook search button, you'll find us. So, as, as I look across the various things we can talk about today, if no one calls in, we may get to all sorts of things, whether it's my wife not being able to get across the country with a snowstorm to uh, elected versus appointed auditors, we'll find something to talk about here on the Bose Nose Show. Squirrel. Squirrel. Yep. I know. It, it's it's easy to squirrel go squirrely on the Bose Nose Show because I you know I, I have to fill an hour. It's one of the things I try and process because I want to be here available for the full hour. We've gotten phone calls in the last two minutes of the show. So I, I don't like to end the show early because I tell people I'm going to be available from four to five every Wednesday for you to call in and talk to me. And you can also listen and learn something about Lane County during that period. But I will be honest that I am not as prepared as I normally am for the show because I've been running my my little butt off to get between meetings and stuff like that. And usually I at least get 
15 or 20 minutes to sit down and breathe and, and write down some topics and all that. And I just really haven't had a chance to do that today. And so it's up to me to get your get your motor running. Yeah, you can do that, or I can talk a little bit about about the aspects of, of being a commissioner and then trying to run for re-election at the same time, which is a kind of a fun topic too. But I, I, I imagine that might get boring for the average person out there, and they probably are like, "Oh, boohoo." <laughs> So, so what you're saying to today that uh, um, you basically couldn't rely on the bus system to do to do your job? No, I don't think so. Which you know gets me to a whole other topic. Um, <laughs> sitting in the mayor's meeting last night, you know, one of, you know, we kind of uh, do a couple topics. You know, we were talking about you know bicycle tourism in, in, in East Lane County and how they're trying to get that worked out. A few other issues here and there talk to them a little bit about public safety and, and some of the, the proposed solutions of a, of, a, of a taxing district for public safety. But one of the things we talked about was this new LTD, not LTD, but new state tax for mass transit. And that, that, that everybody's gonna have one-tenth of 1% 1 of their paycheck withheld starting July 1st but the State Department of Revenue hasn't told anybody how to how to collect how to to send that to the state yet. There's been no instruction from the state on what how to get those funds to the state. They, we do kind of know how they're going to reformula and distribute them back out. And one of the interesting things is it kind of goes back by how much is collected in your area to the predominant mass transit organization in your area. So guess who gets to redistribute money in Lane County? Lane Transit District. Oh, you mean that wonderful organization that uh, gets paid by federal and state and ridership and your your payroll taxes and also advertising that they need more money? Yeah, and 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 and, and you get yeah. to vote for the board members. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm not that that's one thing that's not true about Lane Transit District. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's interesting. I like to pick on LTD, but sometimes, you know, it, it, it's an interesting thing. Uh they're actually going to look at a rate modern they're doing a modernization of their rates as they look at how technology has changed, how people can pay their fares. And they're you know getting to you know maybe installing these you know tap um, uh, transaction things on the buses where you just either tap your phone or tap a, a, a card on them you know a chipped card and that's how you'll pay your fare you won't have you won't there won't be any money exchanged or anything and and in, in, in getting to that it may be possible to do all sorts of interesting things with how they set rates. And I've actually been invited to participate in that process because they know I'm not a a yes man. They they were looking for somebody that would would give them critical feedback, but not be obnoxious <laughs> about doing so. Be be constructive in their critical feedback. And they've actually asked me if I'd participate in that process, and I told them I would. So that's going to start sometime this summer. Uh, looking at modernizing their rates, but that's a whole side issue. But it's just one of those things that happens when you're in the public sector and people get to know you and everything. Um, I've I've been known for being a critical thinker and looking at things uh, a little bit harder than most people. So I get asked to be on things like this because they know I'm going to give them good feedback. So something coming up. But the interesting part is that it's new tax that. No one really knows how to collect yet. No one really knows how to disperse it to the state as far as the employers go. I know that I've got to start collecting, you know, because I do my wife's payroll. Somehow or another, starting in our July, first payroll of July, I'm going to have to collect that out of my employees, but I still don't know how I'm going to send it to the state. Yeah, hey, I got, when you're at one of those meetings, you can just say one word, Uber. 
Yeah, what's funny is I had a very long conversation with with the LTD representative about the future of mass transit and the mixture of Uber and uh, what's that new Uber service now that's that where they kind of yeah might have to walk a block or something to meet up with a couple people to catch a ride. There's some kind of group grouping ride ride service that they're starting to do that is more discounted. That's something they're looking at to combine with bus service for the future of what bus service may look like 20 or 30 years from now, and particularly when we get to self-driving vehicles. Exactly. Maybe a self-driving vehicle that looks like something like a minivan, you know, multiple doors where people get in and out, that goes around the neighborhoods of Santa Clara and brings people out to River Road where there may be something that's like um, the bus rapid transit that runs on those main lines. And it'll be about aggregating trips where you'll be able to get picked up at your door and that will actually get you uh, to that that more um, frequent serviced bus rapid transit line to get enough density of ridership to make that that pay off because that you know that those those bus rapid transit lines have a high operational cost if you're going to run a bus every six minutes it's a lot more drivers on the route than what you, you know one once every 30 minutes or something like that that some of the other bus routes are but what it does is it doesn't send the big buses back into the neighborhoods it's like they do now the 55 that and the 51 that go up to river road they have to go back through some of the neighborhoods to pick up riders. If they only stayed on River Road, like the bus, you know, like a bus rapid transit, and you had these self-driving Ubers that you would go out and you know, you'd punch into your phone, I, I want to get picked up, and I and I want to get taken, and, and it, say you want to get from somewhere in Santa Clara to the to the Albertsons, maybe instead of dropping you at, at the LTD, you know, take you directly to Albertsons if it's close trip rather than take you to the main line. But if you want to get somewhere downtown Eugene or Springfield or somewhere else in Eugene, it's a fairly good distance. It'll take you to that main bus line. That's really one of the future of mass transit, I think, is it's going to be involving self-driving cars that are called similar to the way an Uber is called to your front door, brings you out to a main line uh, bus system that may be self-driving also, never know at that point and that will be you know a rapid service every six minutes you know just kind of like you know going into the the, uh, subway uh in in a big big city and and for a smaller city like eugene Eugene, smaller metropolitan area that may be the way they aggregate enough rides into those major routes to, to support a bus rapid transit system with still maintaining and actually enhancing neighborhood service because right now you can't get picked up at your door by LTD. So looking at the future of that, how you know how LTD competes with Uber and stuff like that, that you know that may be all part of this conversation about rate modernization and how that all fits in. Ultimately, I think that's going to be a wonderful step up for how seniors get around cities in the future. Right. I want to uh, disagree with you. You're going to disagree with me? I disagree with you. Because <laughs> as you know, as you know, my background, I follow tech pretty closely. Yeah. And the bus system as we know it, sorry, EMX, my favorite topic, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, is something that's going to be a thing of the past. When you talk about self-driving cars and the little little ones that look like a VW bug and they're electric, where they'll actually, like you say, come to your door, take you to your destination, drop you off and go pick up the next person. It's not going to make any sense to, okay, well, take me to the bus stop so I can wait another 20 minutes or even five minutes and hop on another vehicle and go to another vehicle, go to another vehicle, which is one of the really downfalls of the system now. But given that, if LTT was going to survive, you'd have your your like your 53-foot buses are the accordion buses, not the fancy EMAX that's way overblown and three times the cost. Put the breeze buses back in for the smaller routes. 
Yeah, but I think, you know, one of the things about if you're going to take a self-driving car from Santa Clara, say, to uh, Eugene Library. Okay. And the next person wants, you know, is going to take it from somewhere downtown out to somewhere else. It's still what you're doing is you got a bunch of people in small vehicles all trying to fit down the same pipeline of River Road and get in and out that way. It's it it's multiple vehicles that you're talking about, and it also puts the vehicles pretty far away from from various areas. Whereas if you're doing that aggregating and picking them up and bringing them to a, a central larger vehicle, what you're doing is keeping that vehicle in a very close neighborhood, so your time to pick up stays really really short, um, and and it. You don't have as many vehicles. You, you could probably do it with less vehicles on the road that way. So it'll be interesting to see. And I imagine it can be mathematically modeled, which will move people the most efficient. I can't imagine it will be that big of a time difference between, you know, particularly if you only have to wait a max of five minutes for the for the uh, uh, bus rapid transit line to to get on that. It'll be interesting to see how that works out. But I imagine that that ultimately when you talk about um trying to keep congestion down and a few other things that that the model of, of aggregating people to a central line might still work better than trying to have everybody individually get from santa clara to somewhere downtown in individual small little smart cars you know that are self-driving so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out it'd be, it'd be fun to do It'd be fun to write the modeling for that to try and test it. Yeah. Well, you got to look at, you know, are you trying to save the bus line? Or are you trying to be efficient and convenient to the customer? Yeah. Well, and to me, I, I want to be both. Um, not so much. I don't want to save the bus line. I want to be efficient and convenient with our transportation system, period, for the customer and for what we have to build out. So if if putting everybody in their own separate self-driving car that comes and picks you up, drops you off and goes and finds somebody else to drive somewhere. If that drives a need for more lanes, uh, wider bridges, everything else, when it would be more efficient to aggregate, not really have a major change in the service level where you're still getting to your destination within minutes of what you would uh, with the, the direct transfer. And, and and the direct transfer may not actually be as fast if, if they have to sit in congestion. Although self-driving cars are supposed to resolve, resolve some congestion because they're supposed to actually flow better because of the, the computer analytics that will prevent some of the accordion that, that um, human-driven vehicles, you know, get into where you get that accordion effect, effect of stop-and-go traffic. They'll, they'll actually know how to flow a lot e more evenly. But... It would be interesting to see that modeled and, and which is the most effective transportation system. Ultimately, that's the direction I want to go. It's not about saving the bus. It's about what's going to be the most effective least cost system overall, because there is a portion of that that's funded with tax dollars. Besides the bus system, it's the roads the buses travel on. Well, like you say, what I have to, what I have to see. Yeah. You know? The marketplace is what, what really, uh, I mean, you can come up with the best public transit system in the world, but if the public won't use it, it's not worth it. Yep, and I think that, you know, doing a hybrid system that combines what's popular in the marketplace now, which is I want to be picked up at my door, and I want to be able to do it when I want to do it so I can call one of those cars any time of day or night and uh Versus the bus system, where you've got the schedule, you got to know, and you got to get to wherever the route is to get started. And sometimes you even have to drive to a parking ride. You know, that's not a convenient system. And if it's a holiday and the buses don't run, yeah, yeah, it's a system that's basically built um, to service to provide a, 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 a subsidized but low cost service to folks that don't have an alternative. So it tends to be, you know, most a lot of the ridership tends to be low income uh, seniors that are that are getting beyond their driving skills. 
kids that are under driving age. So it's, it's uh, and they have to put up with the inconvenience because it's the only thing, only game in town for them. Well, why is the, and I saw this on, on that one list that uh, I think it was the city put out. Why is LTD funding uh, bike bridges? Oh, you mean along with their MX route? Yeah. That was kind of about trying to make it convenient for the folks that are to the south of, of West 11th, because Amazon Creek runs parallel there, to give them several different ways to cross over and get to the MX stops from the neighborhoods that are to the south. So those bike head bridges were about not making people go a long ways out of their way to cross the Amazon Creek to get to a, a BRT stop. Okay. So kind of kind of a it does sound a little weird, but it was about trying to make it so that the BRT made some sense. Still, I don't see people walking that far to get to one of those bus stops. <laughs> even even with even with the shortcuts they put in with the with the new bridges. Now I kind of I kind of appreciate the bridges because I ride my bike sometimes on the on the uh, Amazon bike path, and if I want to cut down to some some favorite restaurant that happens to be down on on 11, now I've got a, 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 sh a shortcut. I don't have to go so many blocks out of my way. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, in uh, about three minutes left in the program, uh, anything you want to leave our listeners with, other than the fact that you're probably the only commissioner that makes house calls? Um, yeah, that is kind of funny. I, I, I made a house call today. Went and saw Emma and. Uh, and Joe, because Emma can't get out of the house so much, and was wanted to see me, and uh, it was it was it was nice to go see somebody like that, and and, and be able to kind of cheer somebody up, and and sometimes that's just a small piece of what you might do as a commissioner is just to to be that ear, to listen, to be the person that stops by and visits, uh, if, if that's one thing I might do as a commissioner that that makes somebody their day better or their week better. It's a small thing to do. Well, yeah. I know you do, you don't like to uh, on this program, you know, promote your election and everything. But uh, from my opinion, you know, from I've known you for several years and stuff, you're the only one I've known known of that actually is serious about being right there with the community and being available to them. I mean, there may be one or two, but I mean, you really put yourself out there. I try to. It's one of the reasons why we do the Bo's No Show is it's one of the ways to put myself out there to the community and find it, finding new ways to try and uh, reach out to people because you'd be amazed uh, as we make decisions at the county and all that. I can't tell you how many times after we've held public hearings advertised in the newspaper, put things out on social media. At the last minute, I'll hear from somebody, I didn't know you guys were doing this. <laughs> so that, you know, it's so important to try and reach out in every way we can because I don't like people to be surprised by the decisions we make. So um, really, uh, that's why it's such a big value for me to reach out, to understand what the community wants, what they, what they need, and to be in touch with that community and not be one of these elected officials that suddenly disconnects from their constituency because they're spending too much time in Washington, D.C. or Salem. Well, I'm starting to hear the music come up in the background there. I think at least I think that's what I'm hearing. We're having a little technical difficulty with uh, Robin and I being able to hear music coming in and out. So I am going to say have a great week. Uh, I think I'm going to be able to be back next week on the Bose Nose Show. I don't have my calendar up in front of me, but if not, I will put something out on social media if I have to change time. But nice talking to you today. And, and the music works, I think. Yep. I can hear it now. Yay! Hey, we have music. We, we welcome to live radio. <laughs> See y'all right. next week. Yeah, have a great week. Thank you for listening, everybody.